We're going to Romans chapter 5. I want to talk to you about peace with God. What a thought. And the gospel has an effect on people. The gospel is not something you just agree to. A lot of people come to the Bible and they'll agree with certain parts of it. You know, okay, I agree there's a God, but you don't trust him. He's not somebody that you believe in. You just believe he's there. And so, you know, the devils believe in God. You do know that, don't you? The devils believe in God and they tremble at him. But they're not saved. But here, Romans chapter 5, I want to say something about peace with God. Now, first thing I need to say is people are at war. They're at war with themselves. They're struggling just to be at peace with themselves. They try drugs, yoga, transcendental meditation, counseling. I, I find more and more people hate themselves. They're constantly trying to change themselves. They change their skin color. They change their, their, um, uh, you know, their uh, hairstyle every other week. Um, they, they change their hair color. They change whether they have hair. People are, are if, if they could, I remember when I was in, in secondary school, there would be the, the girls who would wear the highest heels. Anybody remember that? And then they invented high um, pumped up runners. And the guys who were short, like I was, were wearing these runners that had a, like two inch high um, uh, pumped up uh, soles. And everybody wants to be taller, you know, um, more handsome. They want to be, you know, just they're, they're constantly changing who they are. And isn't that funny how everybody hates even their gender now? They hate themselves. Uh, I find that people hate their bodies. They're constantly doodling on it. <laughs> they hate marriage. They hate being pregnant. They hate church. And especially they hate God. Now, people are at war. Now, they're at war with each other. Have you noticed? Uh, things are worse than ever in marriages. Things are worse than ever in our cities, in our nation. People don't just, people don't say hello anymore. People are having trouble just coexisting. No one tolerates anyone anymore. There's, there's a bitter fight, a civil war going on, and it's headed into disaster. And I found that all of the hatred that, that is going on is just a symptom of our hatred towards God. It's a fact we're at war with God, and we won't admit it. Uh, we are rebels to God's will. We want to live our own way, that's for sure. I mean, I just, it's my way or the highway, God. Uh, the truth is, if it weren't for God stepping into this world and loving us, none of us would love him back. If it weren't for God showing love first. So how can there ever be peace? All right? So I want you to read. I'm just going to read. First 11 verses out loud. I want you to follow along silently as I read. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, note these next words, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience, experience, and experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Couldn't earn it. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the good. Is that what it says? I love the Bible. Died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, when I was sinful, rebellious, ungodly, when, I, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, me and God, what if we were reconciled to God by the death of his son? <laughs> well, then much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy just in God. We just rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now, there's a lot in that verse. And I'm only going to deal with a couple of things, but I'm going to say that there are, there are eight 
benefits of, of being justified, of me just, uh, and, and I had an experience of faith, somebody calls it. You know, I had a conversion moment um, where, where, where I once was lost, but now I'm found. That is what I'm going to talk about, and the results of that are breathtaking. So um, if I get to the next one, uh, look in chapter, back in chapter 5, verse 1, and notice the first word there, therefore, isn't that a cute word? Therefore, being justified by faith, always find out what the therefore is there for. Amen? So chapter 5 is built upon the four previous chapters. Uh, Paul has so far proven, number one, that God is holy and righteous. In chapter 1, he proved that, that, that God is right. We're the ones that are wrong. Everybody's got their opinion, but God is right. And you know what's funny? A teenager may say, well, I don't agree with marriage. Well, I don't agree with, with this, and I don't agree with that, and I think 16-year-olds should be able to vote and all this stuff. At 16, you can have all your opinions. 99% of them are wrong. And by the time you hit 29, 39, 49, you start figuring out maybe your parents weren't so stupid. Well, God sets off and says, whether you believe it or not, he's right. That was proven in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he came along and he proved that we are sinful. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, whether you're religious or you're atheist, we're all sinners. Chapter 2 absolutely proved it. Chapter 3, Paul says, we fail God's requirement. Somebody says, what does it take to get into heaven? You know what the answer is? Perfection. <laughs> perfection. If you're going to get to heaven, you must be perfect. And we all fail, amen? That's chapter 3. So far, a good book, isn't it? <laughs> You get to chapter 4, and we learn that Abraham, when he just believed, it says he believed God, and it made him righteous. That was the whole point of chapter 4. All of that brings us to chapter 5, where Paul says, therefore, we can now make another statement. We can build another layer on this pile of truth here. And the truth is breathtaking, that we, if it'll get there, that we are justified and have peace with God by the same faith that Abraham did. When Abraham just believed what God promised, it made him righteous in the sight of God. And all you have to do is do the same. You don't have to keep the law. You don't have to be good. You don't have to pray a thousand prayers. You don't have to give all your money away. None of that will get you into heaven. You don't have to be perfect. You know what you need? Just believe his promise. And the promise that he gave was Jesus. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So that was a big therefore, amen? Now we come to the next part of the verse. We're going to stay in this verse for a little bit before we go too far. It says, therefore, being justified by faith. Think about that for a minute. What a statement. Do you know the first result of believing is this concept of justification. It's like someone being very guilty of a life of crimes, and everyone else knows they're guilty, and yet... There's no record of it. Somehow, the record's been erased. This person that you know, oh, I know what you were like. I know what you did. And then you say, they ought to be in jail. And the, the judge says, there is no record of that crime. That is what justification does. It doesn't erase history. It doesn't go back and fix all the problems so that the, the sin or the wrongdoing didn't happen. We're going to learn what happened that made a criminal right. So there's, when we say no record, I mean it is, it is impossible to think about because all of us break God's laws to some degree. Now, some people aren't as bad as others. We know that, okay? But generally, when we talk about sin, we're all sinners. We all break God's laws. Um, and we should personally pay for our sins and, and, and we should be punished. If, if, I, if I rob, if I steal somebody's car out there, and it's your car, you'd say, you, you should pay. That was wrong. If I, especially if I scratched it or if I crashed it or whatever. That's what's respect. That's what's called justice. But can we pay for all of our sins? I know there are people who think, well, if I just do penance, what if I, what if I just, just work real hard at being good now from now on? Well, there, what, 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 could possibly, what could I possibly do to fix it so that I'm no longer against God, an enemy of God, ungodly, sinful? What could I do? 
And the answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Go back to chapter 4 and verse 3. God's forgiveness is given only to someone who trusts God. And trusts God to supply forgiveness. God's forgiveness is given to someone who just believes like Abraham did. Romans chapter 4 in verse 3 says this, For what saith the scripture? This is where we're going now, aren't we? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. I mean, if you work, God, doesn't, God owes it to you out of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith, his faith, his faith is counted for righteousness. Go to Acts chapter 10. You're in Romans. Hold your place here. Go back to the left. Acts chapter 10, verse 42. Acts 10, 42. Paul is preaching and he says this. Acts 2, 4, uh, 10, 42. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God. I wonder who that was. Who was ordained of God? Jesus. That it was he who was ordained of God to be judge of quick and dead, living in the dead, verse 43, to, to him, to Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the removal, the remission of sins. So when we come to the word justified, we've got to understand it means me being made right, declared righteous. The technical de definition is to, to absolve or to acquit someone from guilt and deserved punishment. To now accept someone as righteous, even though they're guilty, on the accounts on the, or the merits of someone else who took their place in the judgment. So instead of being seen as lawbreakers, we're seen as if we've never sinned. I'll show you. Go back to Romans chapter 3 now and verse 23. Romans 3, 23. Justified means you've been restored to the place as if you had never sinned. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned. Can you agree with that? I mean, is there anybody in this room that has not sinned all their life? If you raise your hand, you just lied. <laughs> For all have sinned, and we come short of the expectation of the glory of God. But it doesn't stop there. Is there a full stop at the end of that verse? No, it goes on. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through the payback, through the, through the death, burial, and resurrection that is in Christ Jesus. So a swap has taken place, a great swap. God removes the criminal record of Craig Ledbetter and slaps it on Jesus Christ, takes his perfect record of never sinning and puts it on me. Jesus Christ then is the one that is judged, condemned, and killed because the wages of sin is death, and I walk away free. That's the great swap. You say, well, I don't agree with that. You go on and live the way you want. You try your best. You hope for the best. One day you stand before God and think you're going to argue your way into heaven. You won't. By the way, there's no back door either. When you stand before God, he's going to open the books and every sin you've ever done, thought, um, uh, played with, everything you got into that you knew was wrong. God's going to show, and what about this? And you go, well, yeah, I forgot about that. You know, what about this? Well, Lord, that's not that bad. And he, yeah, what about this? And it starts to pile up, and you're going to say, I wish I had gotten saved. I wish I had believed. Is there time for me to believe now? And God says, too late. Too late. There was a swap made for you, and you rejected it, and now you have to pay. The point is, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off until then, because that's no chance then. So the truth is this. Jesus was judged. I don't know why this is not working. Let's do this. Uh, Jesus was judged, condemned, and punished, and killed, and I got to go away free. I got, I, there's a poem. I'm not going to read the whole poem, but the poem goes like this. It's called His Life for Mine. His heart was broken so that mine could be mended. He became sin, and now I am clean. The cross he carried and bore my burden the nails that held him set me free. His life, 
for mine, his life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die, God's son would die to save a wretch like me? His life for mine. That's a great swap. And that is justification. It's sad that only convicted criminals who are facing judgment care about forgiveness and justification. I'm not a judge. But let's imagine a courtroom where I have the robes on, I'm wearing the wig, and there's a bailiff, there's, there's Garda, and there's, there's uh, uh, court stenographers there, and you're brought before, and you're as guilty as can be. And all of a sudden, they read the, uh, uh, the, not only the criminal book of evidence, but they read the judgment of the jury, and you're found guilty, and that judge says, what do you have to say? You know what you'll say? Have mercy. Please forgive me. Give me another chance. Do you know, you want it then. But because we're sitting in church or because we got money in the bank or because we've got two cars and we've got everything going fine, we don't think we need it. People think they're not so bad. And they're in the worst danger of all. But a guilty sinner who has simple, childlike, humble, dependent faith in Jesus Christ obtains forgiveness and can walk away free. How could you not want that? That's the gospel. Why churches don't believe that and preach anymore, I don't know. You know what everybody's doing? They're having TED Talks. They're talking about every counseling session they can ever talk about instead of you are wicked and you need God to make you righteous. That's what we need. His life for mine. So we come through this thing and there are eight marvelous things about or the results of faith. And I'm only going to deal with four or five of them this morning. One of them is we got peace with God, the best one of all. Secondly, we have access to God's grace. We read it all there in Romans chapter 5. We have a right standing with God. We have joy. Some of you in this room know you're saved. Some of you don't know. And I can tell because you're singing, and the rest of you are like, why am I here? You see, there's joy in a Christian who knows they've been forgiven. If you're just religious, you, you don't know anything. You're just going because you're supposed to go. Let me tell you, you're headed for hell. You need to get born again. Church is, is, is where things should happen that sinners get right with God. There's joy because of faith. And you're filled with the love of God. We'll talk about these. And the Holy Ghost, whew, I'll talk about this next week, is in every believer. I'll never forget when I got saved, I met somebody. I was going door to door and somebody says, have you received the Holy Ghost? And I went, I hope so. <laughs> I didn't even know, man. So you need a second blessing. You need to pray all night and get the gift of the Holy Ghost, the gift of speaking in tongues. And I, man, I was, all the stuff going, what does all that stuff mean? You know, I come to find out, I got the Holy Ghost the moment I got saved. Now, he didn't have all of me, but I had all of him. And my goal is to be filled with him, not to get him. He's already in me. We'll talk about that next week. And I'm saved from the coming wrath that's coming on this world very soon. You, I was talking to somebody yesterday, maybe it was Bill, we were wondering how much, no, was it Bill or somebody, uh, it was you, Weston. Uh, we were talking, how much longer can this world go down? When is God going to say enough? I mean, if I were the parent, I just, uh, the noise, the, 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 the murder rate, the, the perversion, I mean, I already had it to hear. I'm wondering why isn't God doing something? There's only one word, patience. God is not willing that any should perish. He knows his time. Saved from the coming wrath. Just because God is patient doesn't mean he's not going to judge. And then lastly, reconcile to God. We'll talk about that next week, but I'm going to get started on the first one. It's that great fruit of faith. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, would you agree, as I said, we are the enemies of God? Somebody may not agree that they're sinner. Let me tell you, you're not just a sinner. You're an enemy of God. When, you, when, a, when a nurse or a doctor gets ready to go into the theater and do surgery, you know what's the enemy of that doctor? Germs. Dirt. Anything that might cause infection, amen? And you know what? Anything that would infect heaven is the enemy of God. Can you imagine... This world, just going straight to heaven as we are, can you imagine what hell heaven would be if we weren't changed? If there wasn't something that changed in us and made us right? Because they're going to have, I mean, those streets are made of gold. They're going to have to have armed guards on the streets in heaven. Folks, let me tell you, we are the enemies of God. Romans chapter 3, look in verse 10. 
as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Somebody says, well, I do good. I'm sure you do. But you do good in spits and spurts, but you don't have the balance. You don't even, if you're not saved, you don't even know what's good. You're just doing what you think is good and what the world says is good. And you're just trying to get along with everybody. There's none that doeth good, the Bible says. No, not one. Verse 13, their throat <laughs> is an open step and is full of dead things. With their tongues, they have used deceit. They lie. The poison of asps is under their, their lips. I mean, haven't you found it? Most people don't punch each other, but they say things that hurt to the heart, don't they? Poison. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Uh, as enemies, we upset God. Uh, the sinful things we do, sinful things we say, things we plan, things that we enjoy, they upset the God who designed us and didn't design us to live the way we do. You know, God doesn't design us to live like the world does. God didn't design you to pour down that alcohol all on Friday night. Your liver can't take it. Your stomach, your intestines can't take it. Your, your brain can't take it. You're burning stuff out. You weren't designed to suck on a cancer stick. Amen. You weren't designed to be angry all the time, to, be, to live in bitterness. You weren't designed that way. You know, um, uh, Psalm 711, don't go there. It says this, God judges the nations and God is angry with the wicked every day. See, God loves the world and he does, but he's upset too. You see, he has both attitudes. Isaiah 48, 22 says, there is no peace, saith the Lord unto the wicked. Now, uh, you, can't, you can try and ignore what other people think of you, but you cannot ignore what God thinks of you. And I found that, honestly, um, uh, people have no intention of getting right. Come with us on, on, on Fridays. Um, on Fridays, we go into Cork uh, when we do at half 12, uh, West and I and, and others. But on Saturday, we just go on the north side or we go to different places. We go all over Cork and stuff. But come with us and, and go into Cork City and find out how many people want to get right. <laughs> they're, just, they're not coming to us. We're going to them, amen? Uh, most people in their turmoil, in their heartaches, uh, they're broken, no hope, but they don't want to get right. You ever notice that? You ever notice somebody and they're... <coughs> Can I have another one? You're wondering, why they don't want to quit? I know how hard it is. Nicotine is one of the worst addictions there is. But honestly, somebody's sitting there drinking themselves under the table. What are they doing? Doing what they want to do. They don't want to quit. They don't want to get right. People have no intention of getting right. Uh, yet Paul comes along and he declares here in chapter 5, verse 1, peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. Well, just moments before, there was war. There was conflict between me and God. Somebody would invite me to church. I go, no, no, why would you even go to church? I, I don't know if you've noticed it. Just talk about Jesus at Christmas. It's Christmas. And how many of your family members says, yeah. There's a war going on. Acts 10 says this, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Now, I know the hippie peace. Peace, man. Uh, that's not what Jesus preached. Priest did, Jesus didn't just preach, let's get along with one another. That's not the gospel. When Jesus preached peace, it says he's trying to make peace between sinner and a holy God. So, uh, and he's not even trying to get you to have peace with yourself. You know what most churches are trying to do? Get you happy. Get you at rest with yourself. To love yourself. Now you ought to love yourself. God made you. But that's not the purpose of the gospel. The gospel is to get you at peace with God. The question is how? <laughs> how does somebody get right and have peace with God? This kind of peace is, is, is a, a peace between two great powers, like a world war. How many have ever seen these, these um, uh, in, in a history book? Now, I don't know if somebody actually saw these back 70 years ago. But... Uh, 
In World War II, Germany invaded Europe, slaughtered millions of people, forcibly took over a dozen different free nations. Japan massacred millions of Filipinos, Koreans, and Chinese. And then they had the audacity to attack the United States and Hawaii, causing the deaths of tens of thousands of neutral soldiers in the Pearl Harbor. And for there to be peace with Germany and peace with Japan, you know what, what uh, uh, Roosevelt and, and Stalin and um, uh, uh, Winston Churchill, you know what they said? They said, absolute surrender, dude. Hitler, you have to step down and declare we are victors and we make the rules from now on. Japan, absolute surrender. And it took constant fighting until both were absolutely brought to their knees. And then came peace. Is that what you want God to do to you? You know, if God has to constantly come after you and hammer you and judge you, that's what hell is. And it never ends. Is there another way so that, like they said at World War II, peace, peace, but at what cost? Do you know how it happens with a Christian, with a, with a sinner? Absolute surrender and let Jesus be judged. Let Jesus be condemned. Let him pay the price. You see, if you and I stand up to God like, like Germany did and like Japan did, the reason why they dropped that bomb on Hiroshima and on Nagasaki because they knew that the Japanese would fight to the very end and it would cost millions of more lives just to bring peace. So they kind of shock and awe with Japan. People still to this day go, that wasn't fair. War is never fair. Somebody's got to win. And when the end, when God has to judge us, I think I'll let Jesus take the punishment. You say, that's not, that's not right. No, it's not right. I think it's unfair that he, righteous, sinless, would take a sinner's sin and be judged for it. And yet he did. And so I'm glad. I have peace with God through what he did. Um, and it happens by that single choice that you made when you believed God. Instead of being seen as a lawbreaker, which we are, we're seen as justified. We're seen as, as if we had never sinned. If you have not been born again, I'm asking you, please, I'm begging you, please believe with all your heart. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to have all the I's dotted. You don't have to be wearing a tie. Please don't try and wear ties to get saved. Please don't try to come to church more to get saved. Please don't try to be good to be saved. Fall on your knees and say, I finish fighting. I finish trying. I just believe and I just trust that Jesus is enough. Save a wretch like me. Boom, you're in. Hallelujah. Man. Peace with God. God says you're in the family. Number two, back there in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, he goes on and he says, it only gets gooder. By whom we have access by faith into this grace. Grace. I love grace, man. And grace is not a person. <laughs> grace means unmerited kindness. When we're unworthy of God being kind to us, and yet he is. So grace is an attitude. You ever had grace with somebody? It's, you tolerate them. You put up with them. You have grace towards them. So uh, when the Catholic Church came along, they did a great disservice because they taught people that you can access grace, you can access God's kindness through all the sacraments. Make sure, make sure you, you um, uh, keep the Sabbath, uh, go to church on Sunday, make sure you, you take the Mass, make sure you pray to Mary, make sure all of these seven things you got to do and you get to access grace. Really? I read my Bible. The only way to access God's grace was through Jesus. You know what he says? John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Makes it real simple, doesn't it? One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I have access. Whereas before, there is only wrath towards me. We're under the wrath of God. I have found a way to access his grace, his kindness. The God, a lot of people read the Bible and they go, man, God is upset. Wow, God is angry. Yeah. <laughs> and then you learn about Jesus Christ, you learn about his death for you, and you find out, man, God is kind. God is good. I found grace. It says it there with Noah. It says, and Noah found grace 
in the eyes of the Lord. You better find grace. Just by believing. Isn't that funny? A child can believe. A thief on the cross can believe. A prisoner sitting in prison for the rest of their life can find grace just by believing. We have access to his grace by faith. So, uh, and it's, it's just because of Jesus. Uh, then we go on, keep going at verse 2. It says, we have a right standing with God, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Stand, when a, when a guilty sinner is born again, they are justified. As I, as I say, and I keep running this, this thought to you so you understand the word, that means they've been made right with God. And their legal standing is no longer ruined, uh, if, if somebody's, if somebody's, um, um, I don't know, in America we call it a felony, which is kind of a serious crime. They have misdemeanors, and I don't know all the different categories, but a felony, if you have a felony, if you've done a felony, it was like murder or whatever, uh, if, you, if you commit a felony, you can't vote anymore. You're not allowed to vote. If you commit a felony, it's very, very hard to get a job. Your standing is ruined, isn't it? You understand what I'm saying? And as, as a sinner, my standing before God is he sees a criminal. He sees a lawbreaker. He sees a sinner. But the moment I get saved, I have a new standing. My standing is I'm right with God. I have been, I, I, he has changed my standing, my legal standing from ruined, defeated, condemned sinner to justified. To absolutely forgive. Do you know what the world, and I wish I could come down there and just speak to your hearts and tell you. The world, Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Phil, everyone is trying to give them peace. They're trying to speak and trying to help people. Don't believe what the world says you are. You decide who you are. You determine your, your, your choices. You live to your fullest. What are they saying? What a Christian understands is that my life is not determined by, uh, by sin anymore. My life is determined by my forgiveness. But if I have not been justified, and if I'm trying to convince myself I'm a good person, oh, I'm worth it. You ever hear that commercial? She's worth it, you know. L'Oreal or whatever the, the stupid commercial is. We, we, we pump ourselves up with a truth that doesn't belong there. You know what a Christian is? Priceless. Because Christ died for me. But you know, an unsafe person tried to tell them, you tell them, oh, you're, you're priceless. They are, but they are ruined. And unless they get saved, that eternal soul will miss God forever. And so what we're saying is, God moves your standing from a ruined life to an absolutely forgiven life. You have a right standing with God. You actually aren't just, you've moved from being an enemy to a friend and even in the family. Craig Ledbetter is called a son of God. Nita is called a daughter of God. I'm in the family of God. What a thought. Joy. Two, let's read down to five. It says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice. That's our next word. In hope of the glory of God. Amen. You looking forward to something? I'm looking forward to heaven. Verse 3, and not only so, I don't only rejoice at what's going to happen, I rejoice at what's happening right now. He goes on, not only so, but we glory, ooh, in what? Not in the tribulation, no, no, there's no glory in that, but in our tribulations, in the stuff we go through. Tribulation just means deep trouble. Also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. It'll never let you down. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. This is priceless. My faith brings joy. Uh, makes me happy. No wonder some of us sing loud on a Sunday, amen? Not because we're showing off. My wife every once in a while says, you're a little loud. I know I am. But I love it. I don't, I don't sing in order to, to, to impress him. I, I sing because I'm happy. There's a great song. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. 
It's just something. You hear birds in the morning. They sound happy, don't they? Can't we sound that way? Can't we actually have a joy that the world does not know? Even though we're going through tribulations, no, no wonder Christians sing. We're not, we're not tied to this world anymore. Uh, our, our, the troubles that we may be going through are deep, man. Uh, Paul and Silas, what were they doing in prison after being whipped and beaten and, 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 and uh, falsely accused? What were they doing? They were singing, man. Say, those nuts, what are they thinking? Well, uh, honestly, troubles usually, uh, uh, well, I'll say troubles usually produce tears. But a Christian overrules those tears, overrules those emotions, overrules fears and burdens and sings anyway because we know that our troubles even have value. Troubles are always the start of something that ends up good. Did you hear me? The troubles in your life are always something that ends up good. You have to believe this. All of our troubles are valuable to us. 2 Corinthians, you're in Romans, go to the right. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, hold your place in Romans. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. We'll start back in verse 15. 2 Corinthians 4, 15. Fifteen says this, for all, uh, for all things are for your sakes. How many things? Everything going on in your life is for you. Watch this. That the abundant grace, we're talking about that grace we have access to, might through the thanksgiving, not the complaining, <laughs> but the thanksgiving of many, redound, bounce back to the glory of God, verse 16, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, wears out, dies, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction. You know who's talking? Paul. You know who he's talking from? Prison. He says, it's just a light affliction. <laughs> for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it worketh for us. It, 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 does, it does something to us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So here's my trouble. And I think they're disasters. I think they're too heavy for me to bear. I think that I just want to quit. And the Lord comes up and says, let me show you where those troubles will take you if you'll just be patient, if you'll just let me work it out, if you'll let all things work together for good. The benefits of what I went through in the hands of God are far more weighty. They are more eternal. They are more glorious. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal great weight of glory. Troubles are never good. All right, your car won't start. That is never good. All right, um, they're never enjoyable, but they're always for our good. Romans eight twenty eight. Go back. I said, go, keep your place there in Romans. Romans eight twenty eight. You ought to memorize this verse. Romans eight twenty eight says this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Wow. And to them who are the called according to his purpose. Do you know that? Paul says you ought to know it. Not that some things work together, not that good things work together, but all things work together. I heard the illustration one time of somebody making a cake, and they got the flour, they got the salt, they got the vanilla, they got the egg, and you had the kid come along and says, ooh, what are you making, Mommy? And mommy says, I'm making a cake. Can I taste? And so they stick their finger right into the... The flour, that doesn't taste like cake. It sticks your finger in the salt, wow, that doesn't taste like cake. And then in the lemon, wow, that's really tart. And they taste all the different parts of the cake, except the sugar. And they go, that doesn't taste like cake. Then mama starts mixing around and putting in the right measure and starts balancing it and puts it in the oven and goes through some fire and then bring it out. And then the kid says, now can it taste the cake? Now it tastes like cake. And all the troubles we go through when God puts them in our life and balances them out and then puts it through the fire and we come out on the other end of our trial and it tastes good. All things work together for good, folks. Our troubles 
our family troubles, our health troubles, our financial troubles, our marriage troubles, our job troubles, our car troubles, our computer troubles, our neighbor troubles, they are valuable. They're never wasted in the life of a Christian. Every one of them were for our good. If we just would trust God and just believe and just hold on. And he goes on and he says, we know that our troubles have value. Troubles usually only produce tears, but true troubles, he says, back in Romans chapter 5, they produce patience. Did you notice that? It says, tribulation works patience into my life. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine, ha thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know what troubles do? They force us to wait on God. You get fired from a job, now you got more time to pray. <laughs> Amen. All of a sudden, you start praying about a job. Uh, health problems, you start looking to God. Trouble drives us into a place where we say, I have to wait on God. Somebody heads into the hospital, what do you do? You start praying and you patiently wait for God to do something. And it teaches us patience. None of us are patient by nature, are we? If we don't become more patient, it will make us more bitter, impatient, and, uh, com and complainers. Secondly, next thing, it says troubles produce patience in us, and then he says patience produces experience. Uh, I got most of my jobs throughout my life, not because I was well-educated. I've been to school, went to college, got degrees and all this stuff. But, you know, most of my jobs I got, not because of my education, but because I had experience. And you know what Christians need? We need experience that God is there, that God answers prayer, that God is good and that God takes care of us and that God, ca God cares. We, we can't just say it. We have to experience it. And when God allows a trouble, actually brings a trouble into our life, it's so that you can learn God is there. When God brought Israel, they came out of Egypt and they came to the uh, Red Sea, it was a 12-mile crossing, about 300 feet deep, filled with water. And as he got up there, Moses said, these people are going to kill me, God. The, the um, Pharaoh's army is right behind. They're going to slaughter us. God, what have you done? The Lord said, go out there and tell everybody to shut up. That was in the Hebrew. <clears throat> he said, tell everybody to be quiet and watch the salvation of the Lord. He said, now go and just raise that dumb rod of yours, and I'm going to make a way for you to get right through. And so that night, all night long, that wind blew and split that Red Sea, and it dried ground that had not been dry since the day it was created. And they walked on dry land. How do you dry soaking bog land in a night? Only God can. And they walked on that dry land, came out on the other side, and when Pharaoh says, let's do it too, and they got into that same canal there split between the Red Sea water. God said, oh, excuse me, that's you. <laughs> and phew, the water came back in on it and slaughtered them all. And all of that to show, some, uh, to get Israel to experience God taking care of them. From that day, you know what they did? Chapter 15, you know what the Jews are doing? Singing, woo, the horse and the rider hath he drowned into the sea. Amen. <laughs> They rejoiced over experiencing God's care, God's protection, God's, God's love and his attention. Troubles did that. God didn't keep Pharaoh back. God allowed and brought Pharaoh right to their very back end and then said, all right, now get going. I'll show you what I can do. Patience produces experience. Some of you quit before you have experienced the answer to your prayer. You start praying about something and then you give up. And the Lord says, if you'd just gone another day, if you just stayed with it, you'd experience my answer. And then, patience, and then experience produces hope. The more experiences you have of God's care and provision, the more hope you have that, ah, oh, it's only going to get better. It's called hope for a reason. Hope is something I, had I don't have yet. I've seen God take care of me. I've seen God save me, give me back a sane mind, uh, take care of my family. But what about this problem coming? Uh, and no Christian says, well, I hope it works. That's not it. That's not what it means. It's, I have hope. I can rest. I know it's going to be fine. It works hope. It works a confidence. 
that is never disappointed. Look what he says back there in Romans chapter 5. He says, um, verse 5, he says, hope, this hope maketh not ashamed, as if to say, you'd never be embarrassed because God lets you down. So let's remind ourselves how big a deal justification is. It's not a big deal until you realize just how much trouble you are with God. Folks, when a man is called before a judge and told that he is loved and that he is forgiven of all his crimes, that man exits the course confused, struggling, shrugging his shoulders, goes back to the life he's been living, and it means nothing to him. Do you understand what I said? Court calls him in and says, the court loves you, and the court forgives you of everything. You're fine. Go home. That means nothing to the guy. But let's add some details. The same dude is called before the judge, and the judge reveals that he has 17 speeding tickets. He owes 122000 in back taxes. He's being sued by his wife for divorce. He's losing his house because he hasn't paid the mortgage for the past five years. And he's standing before the judge now when the judge announces that someone must really love this guy because they just paid off all his seven speeding, 17 speeding tickets, has paid off all 122000 in back taxes, has convinced his wife to give him another chance at staying married, and has paid off the remaining amount, amount of his mortgage, how do you think he's going to feel now? I think that man would want to sing, wouldn't he? You see, when you understand how much trouble you're in, all of a sudden the gift of forgiveness means something to you. Amen? Now you know why Christians are that way, because we know what we was. We know exactly the pit that we came from. I was only 17 when I got saved, but I was a sinner. And some of you are 54. I don't know if I'm being particular. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not picking on anybody. Some of you are 54 years old, and you know how wicked you've been, and you know how impossible it would be that God would want you, and yet he does. And you'll never appreciate forgiveness and justification until you realize you're the one standing there before God, and he has the records, and he says, you must be loved because somebody has paid for it all. Amen. I had to stop there. I was going to talk to you about love, but I'll save that for next week. Do you know what all it takes? It's a choice. All we do is we just receive it, except he made it so simple, you can be bed-bound in the hospital, tubes coming out of you, and you can still cry out to Jesus Christ and be born again and be assured of going straight to heaven. Don't wait until then, because you'll probably be on so much morphine, you won't know where you are or what two points go together. You must be saved now. And it's so simple. Faith simply accepts God's forgiveness as a gift. Uh, let me just say it this way. It's always a decision to believe. You know what the man said when he came to, to Jesus? He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We always come with confusion and doubt. But I'm going to try. I, I'm going to believe. Amen. Hmm. Um. It, 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 faith just accepts what God says about myself, I'm his enemy. About himself, he's holy. And his son, he's my savior. I think I'll believe that. Isn't that cool? Do you know what the truth is? I thought about this the other day. Of all the promises that God ever made throughout the Bible, Jesus is the best promise God ever kept. He's... Abraham believed the promise that God was going to give him children numbering the stars of the sky. You know what's a better promise than that? Jesus. I'm not looking for zillions of kids. But if Jesus is the promise that I need to trust, I will trust and that will make me righteous. And it did 42 years ago. And I never looked back. So by way of finishing, let me say this. The inner peace that so many people are yearning for, struggling to find with drugs and drink and everything else, it flows out of, the, out of making peace with God. If you have an enemy and they're constantly breathing down your neck and they're, they're, they're always taking you to court and always following you around, finding fault, you couldn't live. But if you guys could be reconciled, wow, what would it be like? Well, I've been reconciled to the God who does know me. Uh, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So the question is very simply this. How's your heart? Is it at peace or is it at war? Are you joyful about your salvation? Or are you at war with yourself 
with everyone around you. Seriously. If you find yourself constantly critical, constantly angry, constantly fault-finding, constantly frustrated, ask yourself, am I even saved? I mean, that's, there ought to be joy in spite of everything going around. Are you even happy you're saved? Or are you only thrilled at next week's lotto? Does a disco or your sports team make you more joyful than being washed in the blood and forgiven by the Lamb of God? Folks, you're either saved or lost. Doesn't matter whether you're religious or atheist. You're either alone, without God, without hope in the world, or you live in the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. You live with the, the gift of the Spirit of God. You live loved. You live with purpose. You live in Christ. Your life is different. Your standing is priceless. Troubles and hardships don't prove anything except I live here. I look for a better hope and a better world. And until that day, I'm just going to go ahead and rejoice in my troubles. So I'm going to ask you this. These things don't always, could you admit you're in trouble? Somebody. And accept the free gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That gift is not imposed on you. It wasn't given to you by your parents or your godparents. It's offered to you by Jesus Christ. You have to want it. And all you have to do is ask for it. Stand with me in this bound prayer. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let me just, I've said enough. Let me give you a chance just to talk to the Lord. You know, we forget he does listen to prayer. <laughs> we forget that he's here, or two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst. Why don't you talk to him? Maybe your heart is kind of cold and it's not so joyful. You know what David prayed? Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. David had just sinned a great sin with Bathsheba and he needed to get right with God and he needed that joy of his salvation restored. Lord, would you please maybe restore somebody's joy here? God, also in this, in this room, there are going to be people who they just put it off too long. They never said, all right, all right, all right. I'm that guilty, criminal, that sinful person. I may not be as bad as everyone else, but I'm bad. It's enough to keep me separated from God for all eternity, and I don't want that. So I'm asking you now, Lord Jesus, if you died for sinners, then that includes me. Please save me. You know, I'm just giving you an example prayer. You can pray whatever you want to pray, but please ask God to save you. Let him know it, 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 it makes sense to you that he loved you enough to take your place and all he's asking you to do is to trust him. And then he'll justify you, give you peace with him. Man, change your life on the inside out. I don't know, maybe, I'm not gonna, not gonna fix your job, not gonna fix anything else, but he'll fix your standing with him and he'll fix your eternity. And that's what we're all about. So Lord, I pray, God, this morning, the word of God has had its effect and that some decisions will be made. In Jesus' name, amen.